A quick word before we kick off. We do refer to specific companies in this episode, but that's because they are where the story's at. Nothing here should be taken as investment advice. And now, on to the main show. Hello and welcome to Fundamentals, the investment research podcast from Fidelity International, where our in-house analysts reveal what they're discovering about the businesses and industries you're investing in. I'm Richard Edgar, standing by a very noisy road in the heart of London. I can see, and you can probably hear, that nearly all the cars and lorries chugging past run on fossil fuels. And that's a big problem for air quality in a city like this, where there are some two and a half million registered vehicles. Clean, or do I mean cleaner, electric vehicles still only represent a fraction of sales here, around two to three percent. But authorities here in London and everywhere are trying to grow this figure. It's one reason why some believe 2020 could be the year the electric car market accelerates. So what does it all mean for the auto sector and the car giants which wield almighty heft in the global economy? What can consumers and investors expect? To find out, buckle up and listen on. Joining me in the studio are two of Fidelity's auto specialists. From fixed income, we've got Lucy von Amarongen, and from equities, Oliver Trimmingham. Thank you both for joining me. Hello. Hi. Right, before we start, we need to get something out of the way. The car industry is littered with acronyms. Let's be clear about a few that are going to be coming up, uh, I I suspect. Uh, Lucy, tell me now, what is an OEM? Uh, An OEM is, it stands for an original equipment manufacturer, and that basically just means the car manufacturers, so BMW, Daimler, Renault, Volkswagen, etc. And I'd love to know why we can't just call them car makers. No, it's just overcomplicated. Okay, fine. And um, Oliver, what's the difference between an EV and a BEV? A BEV is a battery electric vehicle. There is only a battery in the car which drives the motion of the wheels. An EV can include a combustion engine as well, like in a plug-in hybrid vehicle. A hybrid, okay, good. I'm glad we got that cleared up. Now, Lucy, um, I mentioned in the introduction uh, that 2020 might be an important year for electric vehicles, but haven't we been here before? Because the electric car isn't really new, is it? Yeah, well, it's something that I didn't actually know when I started covering these companies, is that an electric vehicle, we, we talk about it a lot at the moment as this kind of huge new invention, this disruptive invention, but actually... It's not the first time that electric vehicles have been around and even been popular. So they they actually date back to the 1800s. And really? at one point in the late part of that century, they outsold combustion engine cars 10 to 1. So they have been popular in the past. But then it was when Ford introduced the mass production line and the Model T electric cars couldn't compete so they had kind of this dark ages um of a century yes exactly and then the 1970s where they had a bit of a renaissance of interest because of a couple of things firstly the oil crisis and fuel prices rocketing and the other thing is that people were starting to be a bit more conscious about the environment and pollution etc and well it's taken um, 40 years really to take hold but that's i suppose the driving force now it, it caused a bit of a an interest in them and actually some manufacturers did produce EVs sort of over that period and into the early 2000s but they never became popular they they always were pretty niche and actually the manufacturers didn't make any money on them at all um, and some people have even suggested that 
it was the oil industry colluding with the car industry to not make them profitable. So they have an interesting history, but this time it feels like this is a kind of new new dawn for the electric vehicle. Would you, would you agree, Oliver? Uh, I would. You only need to look at the quality of electric vehicles which are now on offer for the consumer to realise that for many use cases, electric vehicles make much more sense now. There's two forces at play here. There's the regulatory push from governments around the world, most notably in Europe and China, which have increasingly stringent uh, CO2 emissions regulations, uh, which naturally lead to electric vehicles as as a solution. And there is... I mean, this is a more controversial statement, but I think there is also consumer pull, certainly amongst a small section of the population of early adopters. And the rise of Tesla, Tesla has most certainly taken a lot of that market of early adopters who want that warm, fuzzy feeling of doing something good for the environment, whilst also driving a cool, good performance vehicle. Well, Tesla is, is one of the companies that you, you cover, of course. Um, so we'll come to that in a moment. But actually, what about the company's mission and indeed the man behind it all and his mission, uh, Elon Musk? What's driving him? I can't remember it for verbatim, but Tesla's stated mission is to accelerate the world's transition to... Sustainable energy. Sustainable energy. Thank you. Yes, I've you should be covering Tesla. <laughs> yeah. Um, and after he sold PayPal... By investing in Tesla, and it's a matter of a court case, but co-founding Tesla, he would say he's a co-founder. I think part of that was because he wanted to do something good with his millions and accelerate the world's transition to sustainable energy is a good which he felt he could do with with his money. And he's done a pretty good job, hasn't he, Elon Musk, with Tesla in creating an environment, improving the case, perhaps, that there is a market for these electric vehicles. And Lucy, that has nudged or shoved uh, one of the companies that you cover um, into really acting um, quite impressively in in developing electric cars. T- t- tell I me think about you're that. talking about Volkswagen. I am. Yeah, so Volkswagen have um, just as kind of revolutionary a mission statement, which is to make electric vehicles affordable by millions, not just by millionaires. And so they are rethinking their entire business model. They, they're introducing this platform called the MEB, which will build an EV up from scratch, so taking a clean sheet of paper, as opposed to some other companies which are trying to just adjust their their existing platforms and, yeah, make small adjustments. VW are really trying to kind of copy Tesla in that sense. And so, yeah, they've launched what they describe as the largest e-offensive in the industry. They are aiming to sell 3 million pure battery electric vehicles by 2025. So give me a sense of scale. How does so that compare with the current market? of current of market of electric vehicles, I think in 2019, was less than 2 million globally. So if VW are trying to sell 3 million in 2025, that is, you know, it must be assuming that we're selling more EVs by then and also that Volkswagen have a large share. For, for their own company, they expect to be over 25% of their sales will be electric. Extraordinary. And I mean, this is a game changer for the whole thing, is it not? When VW gets involved and, and doubling the number of electric cars on the road, um, that's really what is going to make the difference here. Yeah. And its scale is exactly the point here, because several companies are aiming to introduce electric vehicles. And it, what, what we're seeing is that it's actually a very difficult financial transition, at least, and, and even questions around kind of the long-term viability of, of selling EVs. But if you have scale, at least you can spread the initial 
upfront investment over a large number of vehicles, and that's what Volkswagen are doing. Was it in a position to do that after the Dieselgate scandal because it had to pay huge fines? Um, I imagine sales took a knock as well. Yeah, well, at the time of the Dieselgate crisis, people were talking about them maybe having to sell assets, how they were going to afford this, whether they were going to fall out of the investment grade, in, you know, universe into high yield. That actually hasn't turned out to be the case, even though they've paid over 30 billion euros worth of fines now. So if you think that they've come out of that relatively unscathed, that gives you a sense of how much cash this company can generate and can put towards investment. And, you know, Volkswagen has one of the largest research and development budgets of any company globally, not even just of any um, auto company, but but any company. I think it's around 30 billion um, euros a year. A year, 30 billion euros a year. You'd you'd hope they come up with some impressive um, cars. And and what about um, other car makers? What other approaches um, are emerging? So other approaches of companies which do not have Volkswagen scale, it makes more economic sense today to build what are called flexible architectures. That's what BMW call it. Peugeot would call it a multi-energy platform. And essentially, if you go into a Peugeot dealership and you say you want a 208, Peugeot will say, yes, that's fine. Which um, powertrain would you like, sir? You could have petrol, you could have diesel, you could have a plug-in hybrid, or you could have a battery electric vehicle. The choice is up to the consumer. And... That has its advantages in that those companies don't need to invest enormous amounts of capital to build um, a dedicated flat platform. It means that they can respond more nimbly to how consumer demand develops between those different types of powertrain that we just talked about. However, my view, and I'm not sure if Lucy, if you agree, my, my, my view is that it will result in an inferior product in battery electric vehicles. That could be in all sorts of perspectives it could be in the efficiency of the powertrain it could be in harnessing the superior interior space that electric vehicles offer my guess is that you'll have to make design compromises if you don't build a dedicated electric vehicle platform from from the ground up yeah i i completely agree with that if you think about the volkswagen id3 which is their first vehicle which they're launching from their meb platform this year they describe it as having the exterior dimensions of a golf but the interior dimensions of a Passat, which is a much larger vehicle. So you're getting more space inside the car for the same exterior dimension. So it's got its own kind of consumer appeal in the product itself. Plus, the added benefit is that it's much cheaper to produce than a Golf, than an e-Golf, sorry. So this is kind of going to show the, the benefit of their Proving their that case that Oliver was just, was just yeah. talking about. It's not, it's not clear who's going to win. It's not, it's not absolutely... No. It's not obvious what the right strategy is. If battery electric vehicles take off, which is what I think the market is currently uh, starting to price in, look at Tesla, then Volkswagen strategy will be correct because they've gone all in Battery electric vehicles will make more economic sense than internal combustion engines and going all in and having scale will be the right strategy. If that's not the case and EVs are too expensive, battery costs don't come down enough. There aren't enough charging. There aren't enough charging points, all that sort of stuff. Then the flexible architectures that we were talking about will be more successful. Let's come back to Tesla, because um, what is it that the admirers of Tesla, which apparently include um, VW, what is it that they see in the cars? I I think when we look at the cars, Tesla has two particular advantages versus other electric vehicles or or even other internal combustion engines. One is in the EV powertrain itself. Tesla's cars, I think, are the most efficient 
EVs uh, you can buy. And that's efficiency is absolutely crucial here because efficiency is essentially a cost point. The more kilometers of range you can get from your electric vehicle with a s- smaller battery, the less cost you have to put in the car. The battery is the most expensive part of, a, of an electric vehicle. It could be you know, 10,000 euros worth of value in the battery. Uh, so the more efficient the powertrain, and when I speak to Tesla, you know, they talk about 100 different things. They've been designing electric powertrains for over a decade. Um, the more efficient the powertrain, the more cost-effective the electric vehicle. So that's one aspect. The second aspect is the electronic architecture of the car. This is almost a bigger revolution in the car world. Tesla has designed a car which has a centralised computer system. There's basically one computer controlling every aspect of a Tesla vehicle, and that enables all sorts of things. From a consumer's perspective, I think the most important thing is it allows over-the-air updates of the car. And some amazing things have happened to Teslas over recent years via over-the-air software updates. You mean Wi-Fi or, or, or 3G e- or something? Exactly. That's... So Tesla has increased the range of its vehicles via a software update. Yeah, I, th- I just think that's remarkable. That's, that, that's, essentially a hardware, a that's essentially a hardware, what I would think of as a hardware issue. They've extended the range of the vehicle via a software update. Other examples are, reportedly, they decreased the braking distance of their vehicles in the US via a software update. Then there's more obvious things where, I don't know if you've seen the videos of Smart Summon, that's where you can stand in a car park and a Tesla will clunkily drive towards you through the car park completely autonomously and that has been enabled via an over-the-air software update other companies do admire this don't they most assuredly these companies as well as consumers admire the technology what's interesting is that although there is clearly ambition amongst all oems to replicate what tesla's doing volkswagen uh, is the most extreme example of that it's not as easy as it might first look and you know tesla have told me that as soon as they started selling the Model 3s, they can see the locations of their vehicles because they the location services in the cars, and they can see them all driving off to Ingolstadt or Munich or Stuttgart, Stuttgart to be to torn the down. BMW, exactly, Audi. To be torn down by their German competitors who will who will know exactly how the car is made and be looking at all the intricacies of of what makes a Model 3 a su- technological success. But their ability to produce a car which can match the Model 3 and what I consider the key statistics like the powertrain efficiency, it's not as easy as all that. Well, no, Lucy, because, I mean, they are used to buying each other's cars and taking them apart and seeing how, you know, this bolt fits into that nut. But the Tesla, as Oliver's just been explaining, is actually as much a technology um, machine as it is an engineering uh, feat. So how does Volkswagen go about that in northern Germany compared with Tesla in the US? Yeah, Volkswagen don't have Silicon Valley as close to them to hire all these software engineers, but they are making an effort to hire software engineers. And that's what they're trying to do now is give these updates in their electric vehicles. They're having issues kind of 
ramping that up. So I think it's been reported that the ID3 might have a software glitch and they might have to go out and manually fix that before they start selling the vehicles. So short term, that could be an issue for them. But I think longer term, they can catch up because they can, they have scale and they can employ people. They're on a journey, so to speak. But, they are. But, but, but also, Oliver, let me just ask you this, because we've, we've been talking about, we've been singing the praises of Tesla um, about how amazing it is now. But investors have not always been sold on Tesla um, uh, or, or indeed... So that's another bad pun because lots of them have been selling Tesla short for yes, a long time. That, exactly that, um, to, to a great degree. Yeah, I mean, Tesla, I think, is the most controversial stock and company I've ever looked at in my, in my career. It splits opinion. And so you're right to say that there have been sceptics of the company for, for many years, some, some highly public and some, you know, I, I joined Twitter when I started looking at Tesla. So partly so I could follow the bulls and partly because I follow the bears. And my Twitter is full of full of these accounts which are incredibly scathing about Tesla and Elon Musk. In an informed way? Um, well, or is this just... I'd, I'd, say, I'd say there is a range, but let's focus on the more rational, uh, well-thought-out bear cases on Tesla, of which there have been many over the years. But what's interesting with Tesla is basically we've gone through stages of denial amongst the short case. So the short case was initially that they can never build the car. And let's talk about the Model 3. The Model 3 is the most important car, I think, in automotive history for 50 years, but certainly in Tesla's history. The, initially, the, the view there was that they couldn't build the Model 3 in the volumes required. You know, Previously, they've been selling quite niche, low-volume, high-priced cars. The Model 3 is the first mass-market car from Tesla. And clearly, they found it difficult because they hadn't done this before. And you know, famously, they started having to build it in a tent um, when they were first ramping it up. But what happened last year is they started building the Model 3 in high enough volume and of sufficient quality that that part of the short thesis went away. Then the shorts would say, well, consumers don't want to buy them. And that's patently been proven wrong. That's patently proven wrong. And then the, then the shorts would say, well, consumers might want to buy them, but only if there are government incentives uh, and not necessarily the price where, which Tesla was offering them. And, and those incentives are beginning to dry up in, in many places. In the US, yeah. you, there's no longer any incentives left uh, for a Tesla vehicle. But in Europe and China, there are still some incentives, in Europe most particularly. And then finally, the last part of the, bull, of the short thesis, as we've gone through these different stages of denial, was that they couldn't sell these cars profitably. And in the third quarter of this year, Tesla proved that it could sell significant volumes of Model 3 profitably and generate free cash flow. And I think that was the last of the sort of the last of the fundamental legs of well, the short thesis. I'm going to give you one more of okay. this many-legged um, thesis, which is that the man at the top, we've already talked about him, he's a bit of a loose cannon. <laughs> he is a loose cannon. And yeah, absolutely. You have to deal with SEC investigations. You have to deal with him smoking cannabis on the Joe Rogan Live on show. air. Yeah, live on air. For anybody listening, <laughs> we're not. No, exactly. His Twitter history is a bit like Donald Trump is controversial, to say the least. However, from from my perspective, I would rather, of a, com a company that I invest in, I'd rather not have a CEO who is so controversial and so out in the public domain. However, there's two things to say about that. First of all, Tesla does not spend a single dollar on advertising spend. And a big part of, of why the brand is well known and why people buy the cars and why the company has such a following is because of Elon and partly because of his Twitter feed and partly because he's controversial. And he just attracts attention. And the second thing is that 
I think the track record of the man over a long period of time is hugely impressive. When I think about Tesla and SpaceX, I think he doesn't really get the get the recognition that he deserves. He's built two companies which do proper science. This is not software inducing people to click on adverts. This is proper physics, proper engineering, building electric cars and, and building space rockets and shooting them up into space. And I, I just think I think he's I, I think he deserves a lot of recognition for what those two companies have done so so far and the and the ramifications they will have for the world to come. So almost the no such thing as bad publicity. He gets plenty of publicity. Um, VW Lucy certainly got lots of bad publicity in the past. Definitely. Um, yeah, but together we've got two important car makers now making big advances in electric vehicles. But what? hurdles still remain do you think it's going to be a difficult transition to say to say the least but the the thing is that they do now need to sell electric vehicles and we've already talked about the technology being there i think that the price is getting to a stage where it makes sense especially with government incentives the hurdles for these companies to sell electric vehicles to the mass market will be on the infrastructure side. So and this charging is the, point. The new uh, psychological trauma of range anxi- anxiety. Tell me what that is. Yeah, range anxiety. I think it was added to the dictionary last year officially. <laughs> Basically, consumers being concerned that if they want to take their electric car camping or if they want to drive it to Scotland, they won't be able to find charges and they might run out of battery and this is one or of the even just where yeah. you live i mean there, there are none around where i live um at all it's, yeah uh, exactly it's 10 miles away for the closest one so we're not set up for it yet certainly in the uk we're not set up for mass market evs probably i'd say i think the the uptake of evs will be slow enough that they will be able to roll out charge points and in the meantime uh, great news for peugeot and its hybrids is that right oliver Range anxiety is interesting because essentially it's an irrational fear from consumers. And this is the argument of the likes of BMW in particular, whose strategy is more plug-in hybrid focused. Because BMW's plug-in hybrids, which you can buy today, excellent cars. They offer you um, electric range of about 75 kilometers. And I can't remember the exact statistic, but essentially an electric range of 75 kilometers covers something like above 90% of all journeys that you'll make. So plug-in hybrids are a very good solution to get around range anxiety because you can drive in electric mode for nearly every journey that you want. And if you do want to go on that camping trip or you do want to drive to Scotland, then you can use the combustion engine to get you there and have confidence that a petrol station will be within driving distance. Lucy's, what's your bet? Is that the future or is it the properly carbon neutral ID? Three from VW. I personally, I mean, there's a lot of debate. I, th- I don't think anyone knows yet. If you ask BMW why they're th- focusing on hybrids, they say that you can't say for sure that battery electric is the way. You don't know what the rate of consumer uptake is. But personally, my view is that hybrids aren't a long-term solution. They may well be a stepping stone. The main reason for that is really the environment. As much as hybrids can improve fuel efficiency, depends heavily on how much of the time you're actually running it with the battery compared to with the engine. It's very difficult to prove that they're better for the environment. And now what you're seeing is that policy is starting to shift in favour of pure electric vehicles. So, for example, the UK just recently came out with this new proposal to ban, well, this was London actually, came out with a proposal that they might ban combustion engine and hybrid vehicles in London by 2035. I think if consumers are worried about those kind of policies um, increasing, 
the appeal of a hybrid um, will will start to go down. And I, I think the other element is cost. Now, if we think about the long term, hybrids are a hybrids are a suboptimal engineering solution, and if we believe that battery cell costs will continue to fall, then we're going to get to the point where electric vehicles cost less to produce than internal combustion engines, and there will be there'll be no sense from a cost perspective and therefore a consumer price perspective to buy a hybrid. Battery electric vehicles will be the cheapest way to drive a car. Until this argument is settled, though, um, Lucy, even for a company with the the size and the might of VW, they're taking an enormous risk, aren't they? This is a big punt as they go all in for battery only. Yes, it's a huge risk, I think. Not knowing what the consumer uptake will be is definitely a risk. And when you think about Volkswagen, when I look at it from a kind of credit perspective, they're one of the largest banks um, in Europe, Volkswagen Bank. They have a huge financial services arm. You've seen this massive trend towards vehicle financing and in particular leasing. So Volkswagen leasing you a vehicle, it's agreeing then to take the risk of the residual value back onto its balance sheet in three years' time. Residual values for for EVs are uncertain. Um, A lot of this, uh, you know, in the past, it's been pretty negative. You've seen that vehicles have depreciated at a much faster rate. Now that comes down to the technology and the, the battery degradation. So I think a Nis- Nissan Leaf at one point, the residual value after three years was 17%, which basically you, you might as well throw it away. I mean, it's very uncertain. And these companies with huge balance sheets are, throwing, are throwing taking it away, a big though, risk. wouldn't be very green. And that's that's another issue around this, isn't it? That um, you know, how green are the cars? They, they seem shiny and new and cool and very eco-friendly. No Hollywood star, uh, if the films are to be believed, um, are without their, certainly their Prius some, some time ago. Um, how green is uh, an electric vehicle? So if, if we're talking about how green an electric vehicle is, people look at either the tailpipe emissions, where, where it's very obvious that electric vehicles are not emitting um, carbon out of their tailpipe, that whereas bit, that bit I get. diesel and petrol are. There's the hidden emissions of an electric vehicle, which is, you know, it's accounted for when you look at the life cycle um, emissions of a vehicle, and that includes includes the production of the car, the production in particular of the battery and the electricity that goes into that battery. Well, that's another point, isn't it? The electricity doesn't come from nowhere. Yeah, the question of how green is an electric vehicle is 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 difficult to answer and it varies from country to country. Um, the reason it varies from country to country is that the power mix in the grid determines how clean right. the electricity is which is running your car. That's, that's the first layer. So... Um, the second point is that an electric vehicle is more energy intensive to produce than a combustion engine, primarily because of the battery, as Lucy said. Uh, and again, so if you produce that battery in China, predominantly with coal-fired power stations in the grid, that's going to have quite a bad carbon footprint. Whereas if you produce it in Germany, let's say, using wind power generated electricity, that's going to look good. So currently, on a life cycle basis, I would say generally electric vehicles are still cleaner than combustion engines. But it's not quite clear-cut. It's not clear-cut. In China, I don't think they're as clean on a life cycle basis. And as Lucy was alluding to, that's a point in time. If if power generation increasingly shifts towards renewable energy, which is 
what we're seeing, then the life cycle benefit for an electric vehicle will only improve versus an internal combustion engine. And I suppose we've been talking about the the size of VW, the number of cars, of vehicles that it produces um, in in any year. It really does matter that they are changing along with um, uh, some of the other companies as well. Definitely. And the fact that they consider their life cycle emissions is so important for the climate change um, initiative because Volkswagen as a company, it's an amazing stat, but they admit themselves that they represent 1% of total global carbon dioxide emissions. So Say that again, sorry. They are responsible for 1% of all carbon emissions. Yes. Volkswagen's fleet of vehicles on the road today, they think contribute or they admit to contributing 1% of total global carbon dioxide emissions. So if they become a CO2 neutral company, which is their stated aim by 2050, uh, that alone that is very, that has has huge implications for the environment. Okay, a final question to you both. Where do you see these companies in 10 or 20 years time? Oliver Tesla seems the shiny new upstart now that's making it making go of it. But VW has been around for a very long time, as indeed have um, has Ford, for example. We talked about um, Ford right at the beginning. Um, are they not going to come back with some, some winning formula? To come back at Tesla with electric vehicles, you need scale and to make a big bet. And that's what Volkswagen is doing. And I think Volkswagen will uh, match Tesla for quality of product at some point in the future. The other OEMs, it's less clear at this time. Yeah, I think eventually they will also have to shift to a dedicated electric vehicle platform. But by that point, they will be a long way behind Tesla and also Volkswagen and their ability to catch up. It's not impossible, but I think it become from a more difficult starting point. Do you agree, Lucy? Yeah, I mean, I think this isn't the only big trend that we're seeing in the in the auto world. So Ford has agreed to license Volkswagen's electrification platforms. They're putting more money into researching autonomous vehicles. So maybe they emerge as one of the autonomous vehicle companies and Volkswagen stays in the kind of conventional electric vehicles. I think we'll see fewer companies. I think we're already starting to see that with with the Peugeot um, Fiat deal, which was, I think, driven by the need to consolidate ahead of this change. So that's where, where I see things, I think. By that point, Tesla will be on Mars anyway, so it won't be. As indeed, may we all. It won't be competing. So more consolidation and uh, and new leaders in new technologies, perhaps. And that brings us to the end of this show. Thank you both for joining me, Lucy von Amarongen and Oliver Trimmingham. And thank you for listening. The producer was Seb Morton-Clark from the Fidelity Studios in London. Goodbye. This podcast is for investment professionals only and should not be relied on by private investors. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is intended only for the person or entities to which it is sent. It must not be reproduced or circulated to any other party without prior permission of fidelity. The value of investments can go down as well as up, so you may get back less than you invest. For other important legal notices, please see our website, professionals.fidelity.co.uk forward slash about hyphen fidelity.